Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The End Credits, the podcast where two brothers discuss their thoughts in a film of their choosing. I'm Dominic. I'm Jonathan. And today we are talking about Alfred Hitchcock's American spy thriller, North by Northwest. I really saw this film back in... Man, I don't remember what year it was, but it was for a, a film appreciation class in college. Hmm. It was like, uh, I think this class really like gave me like an idea on like what films uh, are like this new perspective on what films could be. Okay. And this is one of the films that I saw. It wasn't the film. The, the film that changed my like perspective was Casablanca. That was the first film we did watch in, hmm. that, uh, in that class. But I remember this one uh, distinctively just because of... Uh, how we'll probably go into it eventually too right how james bond-esque it it felt you Mm -hmm. know like it was essentially the first james bond film like the precursor right right right. and you know as we go through we'll discuss you know why and how but uh yeah yeah i have this like um uh nostalgic feeling i guess for it now because like when i rewatched it for this podcast i brought me back to that time of the film appreciation class Mm. and just like uh what we talked about and like uh how this contributed you know to the film making process like in the united states at least Mm -hmm. right and uh yeah, yeah yeah it was like because I because I watched certain other things, it was like, oh, this is where it was inspired from, right? And it gave me like some sort of like appreciation for this because like it's 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 under the genre of a spy thriller, right? But like it very much to these times, it's a comedy in my mind. It feels more comedic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It has to do probably just with the content involved and uh, the stars in it. Cary Grant, you know. We saw him already in Philadelphia, and I'm sure we'll see more of his films later on. But, uh, man, this guy is, like... Uh, indestructible. Yeah, <laughs> indestructible and, like, a, a comedy gold mine. you know? Like, yeah. his timing and stuff and just the words he says and just his whole, like, uh, persona, you know? He has the uh, timing right. Right. And um, I, I've, I've also seen this film before, and I also saw it in... I believe it was a film appreciation class. It was similar to yours. I don't know if maybe it might have been the same one or I saw it earlier. I can't remember if it was high school or if it was in college, but I had seen the film prior to watching it for the podcast and seeing it again. I did forget quite a bit of scenes, but uh, um, for the most part, I think I did remember the like the story and where it goes. The American spy thriller film North by Northwest was directed by Alfred Hitchcock with a release date of July 1st, 1959. Had a runtime of 136 minutes and it stars Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint, and James Mason. New York City advertising executive goes on the run after being mistaken for a government agent by a group of foreign spies. I think it is an interesting story, and I feel like Cary Grant 
certainly plays the part. And I love how you said that his comedic timing was just like perfect. And I completely agree. I feel like I almost didn't catch that the first time watching it. From what I remembered, I thought it was a lot more serious. And I mean, I, I will say that in, in certain parts it was, but I think just like with the delivery from Cary Grant within his lines and also in his demeanor, he was very, he came off as very comedic. And I almost even glanced over like the fact that he's this New York advertising executive. And I, I didn't even know who he really was the first time around. Yeah, I wouldn't say like uh, maybe it wasn't actually supposed to be there at first. But like uh, I think obviously throughout the time, you know, obviously it's supposed to be like this fun comedic uh, side of uh, just everything in this world. And uh, yeah, 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 he has this like timing that's like I feel like unmatched in a sense. And also like going back to this whole James Bond-esque style, I think they even copied some of that stuff to add to that sort of series, you know, that whole like uh, persona, if you will. And uh, yeah, yeah, he just plays this like fun character that like goes through this mishap, you know, being mistaken for George Kaplan. And uh, he's supposed to be some other New York advertising uh, executive but like yeah we don't really see that side of him throughout he's just like thrown in like a, like a kind of like a person just thrown into this other world and has to like deal with it and it's just kind of funny how he deals with it I guess right and it's also funny the fact that he even gets involved with it because I feel like that there could have been a point where he could have just ended it all but obviously there'd be no story right right so to see Roger Thorn- Thornhill uh, Cary Grant's character it was interesting to see that he actually kept continuing going into like what the story was and what it could be. And it's also unfortunate how he got mixed up in it all because it was just a simple phone call that he was going to have and he was at the wrong place, wrong time. Right. It's kind of like, uh, it's more again, uh, going back to the fact it's supposed to be like a fun comedic style, I think, because like, if we do think about it logically, there would be like holes to this. It's like obviously there's the timing issue, you know, like he he put his name up first because he just wanted to make a phone call. You know, if that never happened, you would have never had this whole story, right? Right. And if the bad guys, you know, they were supposed to actually figure out that he was who he said he was, you know, then this would have never happened either. So, like, we have to give some sort of leeway for this, like, uh, story to even happen. Hmm. But, like, uh, I don't know. I guess if you go along with the ride in the beginning, then it becomes, like, a little easier to say, okay, here's where we're going now and stuff like that. I do want to say, though, like, uh, in the beginning, it's kind of like we're not really meant, I guess, to, like, even understand, you know, that side of Thornhill because it's, like, uh, I think – I don't know if it was the audio just mixed weirdly in this film or it was intentional, but it was super low at the beginning, especially like with uh, dialogue, right? You right. couldn't really understand what they were going for or what they were saying. And I think that could be like an intentional piece where it's like, okay, this stuff doesn't really matter. Just know he's some, you know, New York executive and here's where we're going to play some later, right? So like this stuff doesn't really matter. It's just here we are now. He gets mixed up and he seems confused. And I think the audience can grasp that idea of like being kidnapped and, you know, sent somewhere else and not knowing what's really going on. 
I caught on to that too, and I think it could have been intentional, but it also could have been, um, maybe maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just a matter of the the dialogue was just buried in the mix. That's true. But I think if we were to play it intentionally, I think it 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 makes sense and it works because, like you're saying, we don't need to really understand. The most we really need to know is that he's this big time executive and the nitty gritty details don't really matter. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, 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 yeah, it almost works to that effect if that's what they were going for. And it seems like they were because eventually we don't, we never really get to know that persona, like you're saying. Right, right, right. Cause like, again, it doesn't really matter that sort of side of him. It's just like, okay, where we're we going and who, are he's going to become, I guess, because that side really matters in, in the story. And, you know, he's mistaken for this. Uh, well, we don't really know at first, like as as the audience, you know, they just keep calling him uh, George Kaplan. And we're like, you know, who's this guy? And so is he, you know, like, oh, no, I'm Roger Thornhill, you know, I'm somebody else. And these bad guys are like either the worst bad guys ever or like the perfect timing, you know, just caught them up for whatever. But, uh, yeah, yeah, they just don't buy it. And it's kind of like funny just to see here just because, you know, uh, they just don't see it any other way or don't even like think about like, oh, maybe this is the wrong guy because they're so caught up in their whole situation that they're like, oh, yeah, we found you and uh, we're basically going to uh, kidnap you at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, to their credit, though, they'd never seen Kaplan right, right, right. prior to this. So, and the fact that they heard all of the details with, you know, Karagram was trying to get some waiter to get his attention, and then the name Kaplan just came, and then, you know, he he stood up and rose. So, I, 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 don't, I don't blame the, the, the villains for, for assuming that that is Kaplan, because everything added up as such, and they would obviously, and as we see actually, like in the film... You know, Roger Thornhill, Cary Grant's character, is trying to explain himself and say, you know, I'm, I'm Roger Thornhill. I don't know who you people are. Who is George Kaplan? I don't know. I don't know who these people are. And the the bad guys are obviously, they are right in the sense to not believe Thornhill because they they expect to believe that, they have every reason to believe that Kaplan or Thornhill in this case is <laughs> is a spy is, right. is is a spy and he wouldn't give his whole uh, uh, identity up easily Correct. either so yeah. it makes sense to like that degree but like uh, I guess you would you would hope to think that they would double check on everything just to make sure that you know everything's correct or whatnot but yeah yeah they're so just caught up in their own world that it doesn't really matter in, in that sense and yeah and that's why I'm saying like why would they especially when they had that evidence to suggest that that is Kaplan, like mm-hmm. in the very beginning. So, I I, I can understand, but um, I, I in that in that regard, I almost feel like they would have no need to double check. I would say though, like, uh, what do you think about uh, just uh, Cary Grant or Roger Thornhill or George Kaplan? You know, right? Whatever you want to call uh, him. What do you think about him being like uh, very like uh, at ease in some sense? Like he was kidnapped by these guys, yeah. but yet he's still playing jokes and still think he can get out of the situation. And like, kind of like he doesn't really seem like he's in a position that 
he's about to be like in some sort of threat or something like that, right? right. Or taken out in that in that sense until like later on, obviously. But like mm. at the beginning, he's very like, okay, we can fix this sort of situation. Like it's just a misunderstanding, not really believing the extent on like where he is right now. So right. What, what do you think about that? I think it works, especially like you with Cary Grant, because I think he's able to easily play up this person who's completely carefree and like you're saying doesn't exactly understand the extent of the situation so i think it it makes it a little bit more playful and joyful especially for the audience to watch and it's part of Cary grant's charm i think mm. and in the characters in which he plays so i think it works really well and it almost works even better once he starts to realize the extent of the situation yeah. and now he's like what have I got myself into really? And now I actually do want to get out of it because you do see him start to get a little bit upset because, oh, he has something as like <laughs> little as some theater tickets and he can't be late to that show and, you know, things like that. Right. I, I liked it. I mean, I think that Carrot Grant pulls it off. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, this is supposed to like eventually lead to like the next sorts of scenes where. I, I, want, I want to say like some semi-iconic and semi-like uh, comedic mm-hmm. where uh, he's gets drugged or like they, as he says, like they dumped a, a bottle of bourbon in me, you know, like with right. all, all the alcohol and stuff like that. And he's completely out, you know, he's, he's, he's out for the counts. And uh, they put him on this, well, we don't know it's stolen, but it's supposed to be a stolen car out to the seaside and uh, going to go off to a cliff, basically, right. into the water and dead, you know? But uh, he wakes up and, like, basically takes over the car and drives off into this, like, wild chase. Well, like, what do you think about this chase? And I, I want to say, like, uh, it's it's another funny comedic moment because, like, come on, how would he do this? And maybe it's also just the times, you know, with the, the green screen. It just doesn't look, you know, obviously, like, as real as, or, like, as intense as it's supposed to be yeah it just makes it like oh with their facial expressions like oh man he's really you know trying to play a drunk guy at this point you know right. like hallucinate think, and stuff like that yeah and i think that um i think this scene is probably just a product of the times because i don't think it's supposed to be comedic i don't think so mm-hmm. i think we're supposed to take it as a suspenseful moment where you know carrie grant's character is driving drunk and it's obviously really bad for him at this point because he could crash at any moment. And I think, obviously, yes, the green screen is pretty poor, but I think it's the best they could have done at this time. For 59, it's, you know, it's what you would expect, I think. And, um, yeah, I, I think I think we're supposed to, this scene is probably supposed to play more into the suspense and it's kind of hard to see it that way because of like you know the the green screen and the over the top reactions and the over the top reacting um to you know what what they're seeing and uh yeah it, it's i think it's like probably not the greatest scene of the film and to be honest i think it's funny but i just feel like more than likely we're not supposed to take it that way i should think that i kind of wonder why they even um green screened it do you think it's all just because of uh the nighttime you think because like uh probably uh vertigo came out a year before this oh. and uh 
they had like a car scene which we won't go into right yeah. but i would argue that that their whole car scene would is actually a lot more suspenseful than this so and actually i'm thinking now that like this is meant to be comedic or over the top because Albert Hitchcock was able to do an, another car scene and make it like suspenseful and more believable. More believable, yeah. But it could also be just the time of days because I believe in Vertigo's it was a morning, yeah, an afternoon type of situation. Where in this one it is later at night. But there are some like uh, night scenes later on in North by Northwest. But I guess they are like stationary you yeah know, they're not for the most part yeah involving cars so maybe you know it could be a case of that or like maybe the location didn't lend itself to like okay we're still in the same area right Perhability. yeah so like maybe you know you could take into account those situations but uh yeah i'm like maybe in this in the camp of like it was actually meant to be over the top hmm. and over like uh again uh leaning to that comedic side and playful side of yeah this is what we're leaning into you know interesting yeah i could definitely see it as a comedic scene um yeah i guess i'm just not sure if it's supposed to play off that way maybe maybe so especially with the fact that Cary grant is drunk and he's just trying to escape and run for his life or you know drive away and maybe take his own life in the process and that was the point that was the point of that whole scene but uh, yeah, I could see it as a comedic one. It, it, it could have been intentional. Um, I actually really do like the moments when we, as an audience, saw everything beforehand, seeing how Roger Thornhill was, you know, brought into this room. He met Lester Townsend, or who we think is supposed to be Lester Townsend, and we have that whole interaction, right? And that when he has to come back and like explain his position, this was obviously a comedic uh, like moment where he was just trying to defend himself and the fact that, you know, uh, you know, oh, like, yeah, they carry their bourbon here and oh, this is yeah, where they yeah, drug yeah. me and all these other things. And he can't even fight against it because they clearly um, hid their their tracks. Right, right. Because right. like. Uh yeah yeah at this point like he because he uh he's basically eventually taken by the cops and uh, he's just so drunk and disoriented that they don't believe I think he says you know and he tries to like prove his innocence by going back to the house that he was kidnapped in and like everything's gone you know everything that he described happened it's like doesn't exist anymore right and it's kind of weird because like uh, I'm thinking like in my mind how do they even pull it off you know like. Uh, we do hear like later that uh, oh they could possibly have uh, been the gardener and the people taking care of the house, but like uh, maybe it's again another thing of the time which people just didn't really know you know people other people or didn't have the awareness as we do like you know technology you know with uh, social media and everything like that mm-hmm. to like double check quote unquote on those sorts of things because like uh, you know they met. Uh, uh, the wife and the housekeeper and all that stuff and like everybody seemed to buy that these were the people that lived there and you know what else would you think because they opened the door and they came by you know with the name and stuff right but like it was too far also with uh roger thornhill just being you know drunk and disoriented uh he was just so incredible at this moment so, right so that uh they just you know assumed that everybody else was you know telling the truth so like yeah, yeah yeah but like 
also in the other way, it's like, man, how do they pull this off? And how are they able to, you know, um, nobody questioned anything, you know? Right. And I do want to skip ahead a little bit. I think, you know, soon, pretty soon, it gets to the point where Roger Thornhill is kind of having like this vendetta. And he, now he just wants to figure out, well, who is George Kaplan and how can I get to him and how can we sort this business? Because he wants to get to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And and that's like kind of interesting how like the story turns into that, that now uh, Roger has to go and find Kaplan and he needs to like, you know, talk to him and say like, you know, you did this to me, you did this to my life and now you got to pay for it essentially. And that's where things like things get pretty fun and interesting um, with the story where especially like when we get to the hotel and um, uh, Thornhill is like going to Kaplan's hotel room. And I love like this kind of like like what you said in the beginning, I did feel like James Bond-esque in that. Now Thornhill is kind of becoming like the detective and he's trying to just put the pieces together mm-hmm. and, and he's learning and realizing that looks like no one even knows who Kaplan is or what he looks like. And that's like an interesting thing in the very beginning of the, of the film. Yeah. I would say like it, it adds like an intrigue that, you know, us as the audience are also like, okay, who is this person he's being mistaken for and how are we going to find him? It adds, you know, mystery aspect to like, okay, we're hooked now to watch this film because we want to also figure out what's happening here, right? Right. And who's Kaplan and what's his story? Uh-huh. And also with the fact that the, there's these men chasing him that we don't know who they are and, you know, what they are doing and... Uh, that like adds this whole suspense, you know, obviously, you know, when he tries to escape from them too and tries to track down all the pieces and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, yeah, it starts to like hook you in and want you to figure out like who's this uh, Kaplan character. I would say like uh, uh, here's like an, an, an iconic scene too, you know, when they're at the United Nations building, mm-hmm. uh, they have to go find uh, who's who and everything like that. Right. Uh, well, it's interesting because uh, I, I believe I read this somewhere where um, they didn't have rights to or like I think anybody at the time really had you couldn't actually film by the actual building right. at that time. Yeah. So they had to like you know, screw the rules sorts of situation where, you know, he went aside and still film from afar to get these sort of shots, like all the insides, the exteriors. yeah, all the exteriors, all the inside interior stuff was you know somewhere else, obviously. Yeah. Right? But this exterior shot where they drop them off from the cab, mm-hmm. like these are like hidden cameras from afar, you know? Yeah, just, did, yeah, because they filmed across the street, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because you know, like nobody could you know, at that uh, time. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading into that, and I thought that was like, oh, that's interesting, and. Um, talking about the interior shots, they have some really great, um, I don't know what you would call them, like, um, oh man, I, I totally remember the name and I'm blanking, but there's like, um, like, like the, the map paintings. Yeah, the map paintings. That's yeah. what I'm, that's what I'm referring to. They had some really great map paintings for the interior shots for the United Nations. Really great, like tall ceilings 
we we could see the detail, especially like when he's leaving. We mm-hmm. see this really great like um, bird's eye view shot where he's running out, uh, and it just looks so like obviously we can tell that it's a painting, right? Um, I think the colors really gave it away. I think if the colors were a little bit more muted, I think we it could have pulled it off a little bit better, but it's it's really good, and I, I'm, and I and I'm like really interested by how they could utilize these and i'm sure they were probably a little bit like if only we could actually have the real thing obviously mm-hmm. but you know they i'm sure they had to do the best they could and it, it looked it looked great for what it had to be yeah i think it was like visually striking you know yeah because it had uh these elements of like symmetry and you know you had this and depth yeah depth and stuff like that and also, just with these uh, actual people, you know, actually walking through, you know, the the map painting, it, you know, it looked it looked fine for uh, what the story was trying to tell. Mm-hmm. I would say the big thing here in the United Nations building is uh, him getting caught in another trap thing. You know, oh yeah, that was awful. And he meets the congressman, I believe his congressman or United Nations men, businessman. I don't know what his name was. I'm not sure. Uh, the real was his Lester Townsend. Townsend. Uh, he he meets him, and uh, it's not the same guy he met previously, you right? Know? Who claimed it was Lester Townsend? Yeah, and now he's like sort of confused and like this is not the guy I met, you know, trying to piece together these sorts of things. And us as audience again, we're along for the ride, and uh, eventually one of the guys trailing him throws a knife and kills the actual uh, guy and. Now everybody thinks Cary Grant's character actually killed him. It starts this whole thing like, no, 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 it wasn't me. And uh, right. Cary Grant again having this like, why did he touch the knife? Why did he stare there too long? You know, and he got his photo taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like it just adds another like comedic element. I would say just because it's like he obviously, I think he made himself look worse by his oh, yeah. actions. Yeah, but obviously maybe people would act that. Uh, that way in that sort of situation but uh yeah, yeah, yeah it just added a little bit more like hilariousness to oh man here we go again you know yeah exactly i think he dug a, a you know a larger hole for himself and now he's just like in it and now he has to go on the run and now we like get to even more iconic scenes where he has his classic disguise with uh, his awesome shades and I have to, I have to say, like that, his whole like his his suit and his glasses have become like a, a staple in 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 fashion, mm. and um, you can actually like purchase that whole like getup. Yeah, the glasses, the suit, and yeah. everything. Because yeah, like you said, it's such that, an iconic look. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. That that it's even like uh, that gray suit is like iconic. It inspired other you know sorts of uh, fashion sense and everything like that. Right. I would say that like we're in New York because obviously he's a New York uh, advertising executive. Yeah. And uh, this train station is like an iconic train station, I believe, because I've seen this in many different films and many different oh, really? uh, areas. Um. And a lot of these actually places in this film you can actually go to. I believe I before you know we did this podcast. I did some research on uh, Wikipedia, and they actually have a whole list on Wikipedia. They have the like exact uh, locations 
pinpointed like on a map to like where these places are supposed to be like eventually we go to mount rushmore and stuff like that but you can actually go to a lot of these places that were featured in the film and actually like stand there's like oh yeah this is in this place you know Hmm. and yeah um uh wikipedia actually has the locations up you know so you can actually pinpoint like on a google map or something like that interesting where these places are but i was uh, gonna say i felt like that the most of the film was shot on locations except for maybe like some of the more high action scenes. But I did notice that I felt like, um, a lot of the time we were in real locations and it didn't seem like it was a set. Yeah. Because like, uh, so I read too, that apparently in the original, like uh, script script, it wasn't like uh, for the movie, right. It's like the original idea was intended to be like a traveling salesman sorts of guy to go to the, I believe, Middle East and then eventually, you know, get caught by these uh, people, but who said he was somebody else, right? This sort of uh, agent scenario, right? So another mistaken identity story. Right, right. Okay. And he, this person was supposed to travel to location, to location, to location. Uh-huh. And that's where, like, this whole uh, basis of this movie where we go to a lot of places. What I believe Alfred Hitchcock wanted to go to Mount Rushmore because... I believe he wanted to use that location in some capacity. Hmm. And, you know, eventually this script came and he was able to do that sort of scenario. And that's why we get, like, a lot of these, like, uh, places where you could probably go to, you know, because we go to New York, Chicago, uh, Chicago, uh, South Dakota, and stuff like Indiana. that. Indiana. Indiana. It's, it's stuff like these places where uh, there are real places, right? Yeah. The United Nations building, you know, just for example. Uh these places you can go and that's why they had these whole sorts of uh, scenarios where um, we saw these live locations. Mm. I will say that it was interesting uh, bits was that the original traveling salesman uh, character was actually um, kind of like uh, best suited, best well-written for uh, James Stewart, Jimmy Stewart's character. Oh, really? But yeah, it's for, for this film, they changed it to like this executive, New York executive because they needed it to fit more with Cary Grant. So interesting. Just for the, the character basis and what people audience knew at that time with associated with the character, it made more sense for Cary Grant to be this sort sort of character. Well, like a, a James Stewart, Jimmy Stewart character would be this traveling salesman, this everyday, you know, guy, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's a little interesting, interesting bit. Cause you know, we just watched Philadelphia story earlier too. So it's like seeing this uh, connection again, is kind of like interesting. Right. And, and along with rope, and I think that's it, it and another Hitchcock film. So it would have been interesting to see him in yet another one. Just imagine uh, Jimmy Stewart in North by Northwest uh, instead right. of Cary Grant. Wow. Right. What, what could have been? Right. Wow. Interesting. Um, I will say, though, like I feel like um, getting back to the film with Cary Grant, I feel like he works really well with Eva Marie Saint that's as, true, as, yeah. as uh, she plays um, Eve Kendall, I believe her name yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I think that's another interesting, intriguing bit to the story as well. And I think I remember when I watched it for the first time, there's, as you know, like in film, there's always this femme fatale. There's always that kind of character who who comes in and uh, in some way distracts the main character from their ultimate plan or, I guess, getting further in the story and that could be quite literal literal and um when she gets introduced into the film it's kind of like 
okay, she helps him for a second because Thornhill needs to escape from the cops who are now chasing him because right. he's wanted for murder uh-huh. or, you know, the murder that he didn't actually commit. And she actually helps him for, you know, a, a quick minute. And, you know, he takes notice of this and it's like, oh, okay, n- n- now what? Was this just a one-off thing? And of course it's not. And it's interesting, like, how, like, we were reintroduced to to her when he's trying to get a bite to eat. And I think what I really didn't notice and pick up on the very first time I watched this was I think the dialogue is actually pretty well written, or at least I like the script. And and maybe it all has to do with just delivery from the actors themselves. But I did really like this conversation between the two of them where they were kind of like, it also felt similar to the fencing that we saw in Rope between Brandon and Rupert. But this is a little bit different in that this is Thornhill and Kendall, you know, obviously like flirting, but also this element of like Kendall already knows who Thornhill is and he's trying to hide it. Right. And that's great. Right. I love that. I love that there's, there's this moment of comedy, seriousness, and playfulness all in the same scene. Yeah, that's true. I would say I would say that uh, a lot of it has to do with the delivery of the lines because uh, without that, I think it could have been maybe a little like on the nose, too cheesy, maybe. Yeah, and maybe at some areas you could say it did do that, but like again, I think it just fit with the atmosphere of the movie that was already being playing the. Cary Grant, as we know him already, with uh, just right. his like his whole suave and persona. Yeah, I think it just yeah, it added this whole effect that yeah, yeah, just like that uh, that uh, dialogue sequence in Rope. It kind of like felt like this back to back where okay, who's gonna say something first? I guess exactly, and who's gonna like you know let on? Yeah, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious, and we talked about it too when it happened. When, you know, Eve, Eve is like, you know, telling her or telling Carrie, um, like about her and then like, you know, Carrie Grant just like replies with some like fake, fake name. Oh yeah, fake alias. Yeah, just like this fake (laughs) alias and fake job. And it's like, why? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Just like I said, uh, when we watched it, I think the fact that made it funnier is that he had this fake persona just, you know, out of his, you know, pocket basically. Yeah. Like immediately it's like. He had this other persona, you know, of George Copeland. Yeah, of George Copeland already. So we just had a like, we know him as Cary Grant. We know him as Roger Thornhill. We now know him as George Kaplan. And then he just pulls out some other random name. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> Another? <laughs> a fourth? You know, well, who is this guy? You know, right. That sort of thing. But, right. Like, where is this coming from? Yeah. It was pretty funny. And I think it worked for the scene. And, um, yeah, so then now we have um, Eve Kendall in the mix, but we don't really know. See, at this point, we're kind of like, okay, is she just this random person? And that's all we know at this point. And I was like, I think they pulled this off really well because if you're watching the film for the first time, that's really all you think, or at least I did the first time watching. And and then like we get we get that scene where we realize who Eve actually is and she's working for, uh, you know, oh, yeah, the, yeah. the bad guys. Right. And we're like, oh man, okay. And, and we, and you don't even like, I, I feel like 
nowhere do we actually get the sense that she's working for them. And then once we get hit by it, it's like, yeah. oh man, Alfred Hitchcock yeah, yeah, creates yeah. the suspense yet again. And now he gives us this, he gives us this bit of information that the audience only knows. And now, um, Cary Grant's character Thornhill doesn't. It's also like a really great because of the fact that we're like establishing this like uh playful relationship so we're kind of like letting our guard down very calm you know just like he is and then we see this whole moment of like passing the notes that oh man the strikes is that he's actually in danger he right. doesn't know it we know it and you know we're back again in that like suspenseful field and like we gotta be on our guard again you know exactly. and stuff like that and yeah yeah just uh, a powerful moment i guess yeah i noticed that like the more hitchcock films that we watch i notice that he does that a lot he he'll give He'll give the audience something uh, in in return for making the main character feel like that they don't or they actually not feel like they don't know the information yet. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're playing catch up and I think it's very effective. He always he usually does it. And I think in this film, especially, it was effective because we want Thornhill to realize that he's in danger. And we even get that moment where... um where Kendall is, where we can kind of see that she's a little bit guilty by the fact that, that she's doing this to him. I think it, I think even the first time I watched it, it it did feel clear and it felt even clearer the second time around, obviously. And you could tell that there's this, especially like when he's trying to escape and they leave the the train, they're in the train station and now he's going to go on his own way. They're going to go the separate ways. And at this point, Kendall like just kind of wants him to go and he obviously wants you know like oh when I'm gonna see you again mm-hmm. that sort of thing and it, it kind of turns into like oh there's nothing left to be said here you gotta you have to go now and I always thought that that was kind of like interesting because we're seeing something else now from Kendall because before she was this smooth character seemed like nothing bothered her she was in control and now all of a sudden we're seeing you know, we're seeing something else come through. Yeah, I would say that, like, uh, what's also, like, unique about that, too, is that it kind of also keeps up the appearance that, yes, she's guilty, but we don't know why yet. And exactly. we don't know, like, because obviously we do, you know, later find out what side she plays. But uh, right now, at this moment, we just, maybe she's just guilty because we're, uh, she is sending him off to and that's it you know right we, we don't know the full picture yet but i do want to actually like back up just a tiny bit where they had this comedic moment where it's like oh, we had to talk about it, i feel like where basically you know they escape the train right and he goes to the restroom to go change and shave or whatnot right and uh we had this cool like uh, clear like uh and again a james bond moment where he gets away you know, with it just because he has a shaving cream on him. So they don't recognize the police doesn't recognize him when they enter the, the restroom. Right. So he gets away and oh, it's like, oh, that's a cool moment, you know, cool, you know, everything like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, all those vibes. But then, you know, he pulls out this like mini, mini razor, I guess, and just to shave. And again, Probably only Cary Grant could pull this off because, you know, it was so just hilarious because that guy next to him, you know, full, he had this full grown actual razor blade while this, you know, he's had this little, I don't know what you want to call it. Yeah. This like little shaving thing. And, you know, 
he didn't have to say a word in this moment. And we just all, everybody knew what was happening. Yeah. It, it was, it was hilarious. Yeah. I think it, it, it was an effective moment. And like you're saying, you know, no words even had to be said. And it was, it, it was funny. It was a good moment, especially like when, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. The fact that in any kind of film, um, and especially like with suspense or anything, it's always good to break the suspense every now and then because we can't keep the audience like that for, you know, a terribly long time. So the fact that we have this, just this moment, mm-hmm. this moment of rest, it was good. I would say, though, I think the fact that it does that is because uh, they get used to these suspenseful moments. Like, if you're always on guard, nothing's going to catch you off guard, right? Right. So if we calm you down, you know, change your emotion, then we can go back to the, again, you know, getting you off guard and right. back in the suspenseful feel, and uh, you're not used to it again. Hmm. Um Let's go now to the most iconic scene, right. I think, in this entire film with uh, the crop duster uh, plane. And uh, again, iconic. You see it probably in the covers and all that stuff. Trailers probably. Promotional art. Promotional art. This is probably the scene that North by Northwest is probably most known for. Where So basically, Cary Grant, Roger Thornhill, George Kaplan, we don't know at this point, <laughs> you know, he gets sent out in the middle of nowhere, okay? He's off in some place in Indiana, I guess. Some cornfield. Some, yeah, some random cornfield. And he's waiting there because uh, Eva, Marie's, uh, Eva Marie's character said to go there because George Kaplan's going to meet you there. Yeah. And he's waiting there, you know, just by the bus stop. And nothing's happening, <laughs> you know? He just he just looks you know left and right you know cars passing by but nothing's happening, and here's like another like uh, kind of maybe I don't know if unselling maybe like a suspenseful moment maybe because like there's really no music here no it's just like it's nothing nothingness, and another car comes up by you know a guy gets out waits at the bus stop, and it's kind of funny just to see. Two guys on the opposite side of the street staring at each other and not saying a word. Yeah. They're like, you know, Cary Grant's like, you know, who's this guy? You know, is, is this George Kaplan? <laughs> you know, should I, should I go up there and talk to him or something like that? Or, you know, what should I do? You know, and then eventually, you know, he gets, you know. The courage. The courage like, to like, okay, I'm going to go over there. You know, I tries to talk to him, you know, are you George Kaplan? Nope, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, okay. Like, oh. <laughs> it's like, I can't say my name is, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, now we're kind of like, okay, well, you know, what's happened here? And then we, we, we saw some other shots, you know, in the distance, you know, of this plane, this crop duster going about. But we never really, like, you know, really focus on it until the guy makes one remark, you know. And he's like, um, you think it's kind of weird that that, you know, crop duster plane is – going over the area with no crops, you know, and right. You know, and nobody else, you know, certainly not me, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't pay attention enough to realize that was happening, you know, yeah. he's to play in the sky, you know, who cares? But, um, yeah, now at this point, the audience and even Cary Grant's are like wondering like, okay, yeah, that is kind of weird, you know? Yeah. And, uh, 
then you know we're just all focusing and now we just hear that plane you know in the sky coming ever so closer and then it just comes and comes and comes and all the way to like oh whoa, you're a little low man yeah, you know, what's low. happening what's happening here and then it just comes by him and he just ducks you know like just like anybody would you know because it was crazy this this plane's not supposed to be this low and you know now we're getting the fact that you know he's it's trying to attack him you right. know we have this all this whole chase scene and everything like that and him going down and stuff like that but yeah yeah just again at this moment in time are these scenes like even possible you know so like that's right. what we really gotta like uh, give it some sort of props to yeah i was gonna say like now that i'm thinking about it and how like we were talking about previously with that um car chase in the beginning at night when he was drunk and now we're looking at scenes right now with the crop duster these scenes this chase looked really good mm-hmm. like it looked really good and uh i think there was only probably like one moment where i think that crop duster plane was actually flying towards him and it's that really classic shot where he's running away from it right and it's clearly it looks like they clearly actually did shoot that and yeah, i don't know all the other shots looks like they were pieced together but it mm-hmm. still looked really good and obviously as we know or maybe you don't know this scene inspired the classic uh helicopter chase scene in um from Russia with Love from mm-hmm. 1963 a James Bond film and um I remember for like the longest time cuz I'm a, I'm a pretty big uh James Bond fan and I remember uh you know, I love From Russia With Love, and I always remember that scene. And I remember watching North by Northwest for the first time and thinking, oh, man, they copied From Russia With Love. And only to learn that, no, From <laughs> yeah, Russia With yeah. Love took it from North by Northwest. Right, right. And I was like, oh, interesting. And I never even knew. I never knew. And I was like, um, what an iconic scene. And very well done. Very well done. And and it, I think even like the towards the end, it gets even funnier because the plane ends up crashing into this semi-truck and it catches fire. And (laughs) Cary Grant just ends up stealing some cars, leaves. And, and obviously like when he's escaping from this, this fire, it's like the, like we even mentioned, it's like the slowest walk ever to get away from such a, a big, disastrous fire <laughs> yeah because like nowadays you know when those moments happen where you know the, the whoever it is you know are running away from the fire we see this like slow motion you know and then once the the impact hits you know they get like thrown you know a few uh, meters uh, you know away from it but in this one he's just like oh no you know <laughs> it's just right there and it's the slowest walk you know and it's like he doesn't even care, you know, because yeah. obviously it's just a green screen behind him, right? Yeah. But he's not selling it like it's anything. And it's just another hilarious moment just because of the the, the action that's happening. And uh, it just adds to this whole, like, uh, I guess, drama, comedic style of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we end up reuniting with Eve Kendall. And now we're starting to learn a little bit more about her. And obviously she knew what was going to happen as we, as we learn in that scene. And, and obviously Thornhill's pretty upset because, you know, you basically sent me to die and like, Oh, look at me now. I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> I'm right here in your hotel room. And, 
and it does definitely come to a shock for her. And um, yeah, now we're basically learning a little bit more about her. And and now it's like she clearly doesn't want him to be there, you know. Mm-hmm. But now Cary Grant knows that maybe she's like somehow involved with Kaplan or someone else. So he needs to get to the bottom of it yet again. And he eventually does find the fake Lester Townsend, also known as Van Dam, and his his um his right hand man. Mm-hmm. Um whatever his name was. Yeah, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, I can't I can't remember his name. And uh and it, and it's like this like Oh man, it is a pretty intense and bold move because he ends up just like walking over to them at this auction and he just kind of puts himself in this position where like I'm going to make myself known and even to like it's even to Van Damme's surprise like he's like oh man, what is he doing here? Right. And it's like is, is he seriously like interrupting us during this this time? And it was a pretty intense move and suspenseful scene. I would actually say this is my least favorite scene. In oh, the really? Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the fact that, I'll, just right here, everything after was kind of funny, and we'll get to that, right? But right here where he just comes up out of nowhere and just meets them at this auction, I feel as if it was a little bit like um, uh, not as impactful as I wanted it to be. Maybe because, again, at this point, I'm like associating it with like a James Bond film where like everything's over the top, right? Oh. And like... This reveal of like, here's the bad guy, here's our main good guy, I guess, but we don't really know what he's doing. He's just, you know, in this whole situation. I feel as if we should have had some sort of like, uh, I don't know, some sort of like epic clash, maybe. I I almost consider it to be that because, and what made it even more special is the fact that they couldn't really do anything because they were around the public. Okay, I could see that. I could see that uh, sort sort of scenario. Yeah, so the fact that they couldn't actually, like, do anything or really, like, you know, speak about, like, the situation at hand, they all, all they could really do is just, like, be a part of the auction. Do you think, though, that they could have uh, been a little bit more, like, uh, shown some sort of, like, uh, more shock to the whole scenario? That, like, maybe in, in, the, in the whole acting they were seemed a little bit too calm? That I was like, oh... He's alive. Okay. You know, but they don't like, you know, like their eyes popping out of their head. sort of scenario, mm. like how, you know, how, you know, how is this guy here? You know, they weren't really like amazed, amazed until they were ever, I guess, you know, it's like, okay, that's kind of weird. They, it's almost as if they, they knew he was alive again. Hmm. Interesting. I actually kind of got like the, I kind of got the feeling that they were some more surprised. Oh, okay. Then the not. And for, that's how I interpreted it. Um, like, at the yeah, right as he walks up to them, I personally felt like that they were pretty shocked by the fact that he's actually standing here. I think maybe it has to do with, like, uh, the camera choices at that point. Like, oh, okay. maybe something of, like, uh, a close-up to their face could have, like, intensified that whole uh, scenario to make me really feel that impact. But I guess because Alfred Hitchcock didn't choose that, it was lessened my mind, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Pretty soon after, um, finally, like we get to this point where 
Thornhill finally gets to understand the situation a little bit more because he finally gets to meet uh, one of the detectives who's behind this entire operation mm-hmm. as we come to learn. I think we actually learn it like probably a few scenes before where we actually get introduced to the whole oh, right, idea right. and the plan that there is no George Kaplan. He doesn't actually exist. But now since uh, Thornhill kind of inserted himself in that position, he has to continue to be. And we also know that there's some other agent, but we don't actually know who the agent is at this point. But we do learn that it, it happens to be Kendall. Mm-hmm. And now Kara uh, Grant realizes this. And because he, obviously he doesn't even want to continue being Kaplan and everything. And he complains to the, the the detective and, you know, like, why am I doing this? You know how much trouble this has caused me. And once he realizes the stakes that Eve may uh, um, be in danger, now he has to go save her. Yeah, and then they, like, eventually, you know, go to South Dakota, and they have this whole, like, here's another, like, weird scenario to me where it doesn't really make sense, you know, where he meets Van Damme there, they have some sort of, like, conversation on, uh, you know, how to, he can escape without the actual, like, FBI, CIA, you know, whoever knowing, and then, you know, uh, Eve shoots him. Yeah, I thought this was weird, too. Like, um, I understand, but like there was never a point where they were ever going to negotiate. Yeah. And it was like, okay, why is there a negotiation taking place? And I, I, I guess I understand because now since Thornhill is committed to the Kaplan role, he has to play the part and pretend like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm part of the FBI or CIA, whatever. And I know your plans and I know your rendezvous and I know where you're going to be. And I know when you're going to leave tomorrow night. And so it was this moment of, okay, I have to scare you with this knowledge that I have. And even though technically I'm not even sure they actually did have that knowledge, but you know, and they had to rescue, um, um, Kendall. It just doesn't make sense, though, as, like, I feel like in the bad guy's perspective, only because it's like, okay, uh, I know already know that you had this information through our previous, you know, meeting, and then he gets captured by the, the cops, which I assume Van Damme understands that, you know, they're on the same side and stuff like that, and then he just comes back to have this meeting with him already, so, like, obviously... If you know the information, you already told somebody else. So why would I even, you know, had this whole deal situation even happen? And right. It's just all kind of weird. And then, you know, Kendall shoots him. So, like, what is he supposed to think of this scenario? Like, okay, the cops already figured it out because this guy already knows. Because I saw him get taken away from those cops. Right. Uh, Kendall shoots him. So now they're probably suspicious of her. I know I have to leave. But I also know that the cops know how I'm going to leave. <laughs> yeah. So how am I supposed to get out of the situation by... I ha- I can't leave the way I was supposed to leave, right? Yeah. You Right. So, like, I don't know. that This, this whole scene didn't make sense to me because of just, you know, certain logic scenarios. But, like, 
I, I don't know. We supposed to say, I guess, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it, it it was a little strange. But what we do see, which is it, which is kind of like interesting, and maybe like maybe this is what Hitchcock just wanted everyone to focus on is the fact that like once uh, Kendall actually does go back to Van Damme's place, he clearly it basically believed the whole situation that Kaplan was shot and Kendall did it, and and you know Kendall's going to go with with Van Damme um, out of the country. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so it's kind of weird. Like, so he, he, he was fooled by it and he clearly looks like he was, but obviously the, the bodyguard of Van Damme wasn't, he wasn't buying it. Like Mm -hmm. he knew that something was wrong and specifically with Eve. Right. It's like, I don't know. Like that's why this, uh, this thing doesn't make sense, but like, I guess, you know, we'll just clear stuff up later, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, Kendall shoots uh, Cary Grant or George Kaplan, Roger Thornhill, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, she leaves, everybody leaves. And um, now the FBI and, or we already knew this, the FBI and uh, Roger Thornhill are working together. They go meet with uh, Eve Kendall. Uh, eventually, you know, they talk about, you know, have their apologies to each other. And, uh, now she's going to go leave with uh, Van Damme to go out of the country. And basically, Roger Thornhill's mad about this. And eventually, they're trying to keep him away from Kendall in order so that the operation can continue. Yeah. You know, they have this whole, like, uh, I guess, uh, fight about, you know, what's right and wrong, you know, because the main character has to stand up for good stuff while yeah. you know you know whatever situation and uh eventually this leads us to like the end sequence where it's nighttime and yeah eventually Cary grant you know smooth move guy is able to get out of the fbi somehow right yeah <laughs> because he's james bond i guess yeah we, he goes <laughs> like full james bond mode at this point right right because he escapes the fbi to go hopefully re- rescue uh Eve Kendall and I would say at this moment you know once he goes to Van Damme's place uh-huh. that uh this is where I feel like it really like uh, has this like uh, uh sort of a pickup moment maybe even like um I always tend to forget what's happening gonna happen here like because when I you know I, I remembered every other situation ahead of this mm-hmm. going into uh, North by Northwest. Yeah. But always at this moment, I feel like I always get caught off guard. And I actually think it's a somewhat good thing because of the events that happen here. But like, uh, I want to know if like, did you remember anything going in? What was your thoughts, you know, when he was creeping towards this building? And uh, did you think he was, you know, going to make it somehow? Yeah. Um, I think I forgot certain parts. Like, for example... Um, I kind of forgot about like him listening in on the conversation between Van Damme and his bodyguard mm-hmm. and I completely forgot that the bodyguard was like, I, for a second, I thought he was going to turn on him and yeah. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Let's talk about this scene right now. Cause this yeah. scene is actually really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- this is why I'm like, okay, uh, it's really great that I did forget because of this whole situation. Cause you know, they have a conversation. Right. And, uh, like you said before, the right hand man is like suspicious of Eve Kendall and now I don't know for some reason Van Damme was like you know oblivious to everything seems like it and uh you know we just see 
the right hand man grabbed the gun, has a gun, you know, in the back. And, you know, I was like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here, right? Is, yeah. Is he going to shoot him or whatnot? And then eventually he we, he does. You know, we we hear the shot. The camera angle goes to him, like, in this evil look, right? That he's like, oh, yeah, this is it. And uh, Van Damme has this, like, shock expression expression on his face. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what happened? Yeah, you did know, he just shoot him? Yeah, did he just shoot him? Where, where, you know, where are we going now? You know, yeah. I was like, why and then how? And, you know, all that situation is running through our head. And, yeah. you know, we're expecting him to fall dead, right? Yeah. But then uh, nothing happens. It's like, I don't know, this is the same gun that I stole from her luggage that he, uh, she shot uh, Cary Grant or George Kaplan, you know? And then he has this whole, like, he punches them moment, which... The punch looked bad, in my opinion, just because obviously they had to fake it. I don't know why they obviously had to fake it. You know, that but was a little weird. Either yeah. way, they faked it, and it was a little weird. But it was like a a really cool moment because it's like, oh man, did he just shoot him? You know, and uh, where they could have went with the story right there. Yeah, I think it was uh, like even though I've watched this film already, like <laughs> it was so unexpected, like you said. Yeah, and I think it's special, like when those moments can't happen because now you are kind of lost in the scene not lost in the bad way i mean like lost inside of it Mm -hmm. and that's what's like that's what's great and i think a lot has to do with just you know um what's what's taking place and i think that that feeling of um carrie grant going into full james bond mode is kind of like it's like an intriguing piece because they don't know that he's there and the audience is there with him so it's like a nice thing to watch because obviously we don't want him to get caught and but we want him to be able to alert eve kendall because he's there and we want eve to escape so we're feeling that within within us Mm -hmm. so it's like the pressure is on also with the fact that we eventually know because when uh carrie graham was first shot we didn't know it was a fake gun right and so eventually later you know they revealed it to us yeah and for some reason, the trick worked twice, you know, mm-hmm. in some uh, three times, probably. Oh, yeah. Three times. Three, three times. times. You're right. Somehow the same trick worked three times in this movie where, you know, they had the gun, our a gun, because we didn't know it was the same gun at right. that time. And we were fooled by it somehow just because it's like maybe it's because of the fact that it was a gun. Right. And we just know that once someone has it on somebody, you know, uh, they got to, you know, tread lightly. Right. Yeah. And. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for some reason, that same gun trick works three times throughout this movie. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point now, you know, Cary Grant's trying to grab the attention of Eve and uh, basically is a little too late by that time. Yeah. But he knows that they're on to her, right? Right. Did you, didn't you think it was a nice touch that he used his, uh, his, his matches. Yeah, yeah. So good. So good. Because, again, it, it goes back to the uh, scenario when they first met. You know, like. Yeah, at because, the dinner table. Right, yeah. right. Because she brought up this whole thing, like, what's rot. Because this is the matches that he had for to light a cigarette or whatever. And he says, oh, that's just my trademark or whatnot. And right. she asks, you know, what O means. And he's like, oh, no, nothing. But it's, it's his initials. Right, right. Not, not the O, though. The R and the T is, but right. O doesn't. But either way, right. It was, a, it was so out of place at that moment that we were forced to, like, notice it was there. Because, like, okay, why was this there, you know? Right. Who chooses rot as their, you know, 
trademark and whatnot. It was just so out of the field, right? So we remembered by this moment in time. This is why we had this sort of a moment before, you know, long term, long term storytelling here. You know, it, it, it's so easy, you know, and it, it played a helpful role to of communication that even the audience we knew what was about to happen, you know, in this next scene where he writes a notes in the match uh, lid and uh oh this is funny too with just lightly tossing it over oh, yeah. to her and he misses yeah <laughs> he, he misses. misses so good so good but um yeah we knew the intensity here right because yeah. us as audience well we know he's in the building and we at least hope that she remembered his trademark right and when she does like uh her acting here is like brilliant too. Oh yeah! Just because of the camera shot here and everything, she just you know, uh, she sees it like on on the uh, on the the uh, ashtray. Yeah, and keep in mind the camera's from the back, so right, we don't right, even right. see her face at all. Right, right. We're from Cary Grant's point of view, which is he's like on the second floor looking yeah. down at her. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah, she sees it from this angle, and she just. Uh, flicks it open because she's like, oh, how did this get here, right? Well, well, she first notices it in the ashtray and she like, like twists her head in such oh, yeah. like a, like, yeah. oh, I recognize this. Yeah. It was so well done. Yeah, yeah. She she looks so, she looks both ways because again, like, yeah, how is this here? Yeah, and, You know, you exactly. see over here and then yeah. she picks it up, looks at it and then just, uh, it's like a quick snap. She closes it. Yeah. It's like, oh man, it's like, that was the confirmation we knew or we needed as the audience to know that she knows we're all on the same page yeah it's awesome like, yeah it was just an awesome moment that the fact that just her her quickness was enough communication to us to understand that and it's like wow that's that's crazy that's powerful and that's what like i feel as if uh that shows good storytelling directing whatever you want to call it of like albert hitchcock to be able to effectively communicate that to everyone watching yeah that's powerful right and um and and like that scene even heightens and it grows because we now okay so like all right now she knows and then they get to like reunite once again and now he gets to like explain it to her and like you know don't go on the plane don't go on the plane and it gets even like more intense because now she knows and she knows that they're onto her and she can't get on the plane because she's she's gonna be tossed off. She's gonna die. And then it just like grows like like so suspenseful because you don't want her to get out on the plane. But the plane's here now, and now they're going. Yeah. They're now they're slowly going to board the plane. And it's like oh man. And and as Alfred Hitchcock does, it's just this suspenseful moment of slowly walking to the plane, and she's looking back at the house because she's waiting for. Uh, Thornhill to come and rescue her because he said he would and you know where is he where is he and like we said that the um, the gun works a third time here when the maid or the sister of of Van Damme I believe who that is I think that's who it is or it's someone else I believe it's his sister and she notices that Thornhill's in the in the in the house and she do the television screen. I mean, right. come on, right. <laughs> make sure all you you account for all the reflections. You know, right? Exactly. And um, you know, she has him at you know um, at gunpoint, and then eventually Thornhill realizes that that's the it's actually the the blank gun, 
And finally, like what seems like eternity, like right as she's about to board the plane, he he comes and saves her and they drive off. And uh, it's like this. Now we're getting into like that final chase scene at Mount Rushmore out of all places. And again, I think like um, like Jackie Chan and Police Story 2, this also feels like a really nice, unique location for a suspenseful slash action scene. Matt Rushmore. Yeah, I, I would say so because it's like the fact that we learn that they're on top of it and there's no, you know, way slash method of escaping. They're like, okay, we just got to climb down. You know, I was like, seriously, I'm not going to climb down from that height. It's like, no way, you yeah, know, right. just let them take me. You know, so whatever. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, especially with her shoes. I mean, come on. You know? Oh, yeah. She's wearing heels. Yeah. How do you expect her to climb down there or whatever? But either way, you know, they, they do it and it has like this intensity because obviously, you know, they're on a, on a, a tall, you know, monument essentially. And, you know, all these other people, these henchmen are coming down to, uh, get them too and you know we see some like angles you know where oh maybe they did you know take a little bump you know and stuff like that and like oh man that's gotta hurt yeah uh and for all the characters really and uh this you know eventually goes into like a, a, a fight scenes between a bunch of them just seeing who would live you know and whatever and uh you know some people fall you know? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that and uh it was really intense to the point where uh, eventually uh kendall gets thrown off too and then eventually carrie grant roger thornhill she he has to go over there and help her too and he's like uh if you remember obviously when we were watching batman begins it's like the same moment where oh. you know he, uh he's holding her from like one arm and he's trying to hold uh, the monument from another arm, you know, and he's trying to use his strength, but maybe he's not going to be enough. And then the henchman comes over, and uh, it's just weird too, because Cary Grant, Roger Thornhill says, "Help me," because you know, I was like, "This is uh, crazy." And then it adds some sort of intensity moments, you know, where it's like this classic. This guy, we just see his his like uh, his shoe yeah. go right on top of uh, Roger Thornhill's figures. Like, oh, he's oh, he's gonna press on it because you know right. this is the end or whatever. This is it. Yeah, and then out of nowhere, a gunshot fires. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like even Van Dam comments. It's like, oh man, that wasn't very sportsman like. Right, it's like, to use live bullets. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> uh, uh, it was it was a funny moment right there. I was gonna say yeah, and like every time that I watch uh, this movie, um, because like oh man, and then, and then for whatever reason we get this shot like because so uh, the henchman gets shot and then he falls down and then Cary Grant is like still has to pull up Eve. And, and, you know, he finally, like, does so. But in the moment, it, like, switches yeah. to, like, back on the train. <laughs> and he's pulling her up into the the top uh, bunk bed. And then it just ends. And every time that I watch this oh, film, man. I'm always disappointed by the ending. Yeah, I I'm, I'm always disappointed because I'm, like, I feel like after all of what we've been through, it almost felt like... Um, the ending got was like like rushed. Yeah. We gotta and, wrap it up. Like we gotta wrap it up. We lost money. We lost <laughs> yeah, time. We gotta end time. it. Close it down. Yeah, close it down. And it's like, oh shoot. E- e- each time I watch the ending, I'm like, oh man, why does it? Why did it end like that? And strangely enough, I almost feel like in a lot of Alfred Hitchcock films, they always feel so like slow and methodical throughout the entire film until the end. 
it always feels like until the end, it's like they they just kind of like rush into it to the point where we can't even think about it. And maybe that's the point because I, I, I feel like with each Hitchcock film, it always feels like that. And we don't feel this sense of like true closure. I actually think it depends on the film because I actually think Rope was a really good example of an ending. Oh, That right. was really like wrapped up nicely. And well paced. Yeah, yeah. Everything was like perfect, I think, in that room, Rope ending. Yeah, that's a good but, point. But when it comes to North by Northwest, yeah, I agree. It's catching me off guard every single time. It's like, yeah. what happened, you know? Uh, did we cut something out of the film? You know, where's the scene? I'm missing, you know, essential content to make, <laughs> you know, the sentence, you know, what happened here? Right. Yeah, like what happened? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the ending, yeah, can't really explain it. But uh, yeah. I, do, I do think that there's, if you think about it in this like comedic sense, you know, maybe it really works. You know, I was like, at this point, you know, who cares? So I don't know. I don't know. Like you said, though, it was really an intense moment by the fact of how we got here. You kind of wanted it to, like, wrap up nicely. And it and, doesn't. Yeah, and it doesn't really. Just like, okay, let's end it. Let's just end it. Right. And and for, like, yeah, as good as the film is, I think, from, like, the the opening, and it's a lot, it's a lot more... I think it's just better paced earlier on in the film and in the middle. And um, I think probably like in the train is probably my favorite moments. And like just by the time we get to Mount Rushmore, it's supposed to be this intense and suspenseful moment. And then it just kind of gets, you know, mm-hmm. abruptly cut and it feels just out of place. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I would say my favorite moments is the point when um roger thornhill goes to van damme's place and you know they have the whole communication with the with the matches and you know the right hand man all quote unquote turning on van damme and stuff like that that's my favorite moments of this film also you know with the the airplane scene too it's just iconic um but like i said i think the height of it was van damme's place and again going from there to the end it's kind of like eh it doesn't really like fulfill you in that sense. Yeah. But, um, I guess I respect it for like some elements that were, you know, inspired from, like we said, from Russia with love and other stuff, you know, from his suits. Oh yeah. And, definitely. You know, um, even like, uh, the music's pretty good too. I was going to, I actually was going to mention that, that that was the last thing I really wanted to talk about. The fact that the first time I watched it, I didn't even really catch on to any of the music in this f- film. And, you know, the first place that I caught it where I actually like caught on to like the music and I was like, oh, this is actually really good. It was the moment when we're in the train and um, Thornhill and Kendall are holding each other mm-hmm. and they're having that like conversation where like, oh, maybe we shouldn't get involved and everything. We shouldn't do anything like that. And there was some really nice light music in the background. I was like, oh, this is really great. And I and I feel like it's very much an underscore. Like it's definitely not even like in any way stepping on the toes of the acting or the, the, the dialogue. It's just like right there and you can barely hear it, but it's really nice. And I'm like, it really like adds to the scene and I never noticed it before. And I was like, wow, this is really great music. And, um, 
this is that's something that I picked up the second time around. Yeah, um, I also believe that uh, the same uh, composer did uh, Vertigo. He did, yeah. So like, um, I admit we're going we'll have to go to Vertigo at some point too right. to to see this inspiration sorts of scenarios. But yeah, yeah, yeah. there are some just good pieces in the film that uh, probably, like you said, just kind of go like uh, maybe overshadowed just because of some of the action pace sure, you know, that yeah. we see yeah. and maybe they're like unappreciated or underappreciated yeah well and there we have it alfred hitchcock's american spy thriller north by northwest we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and we'll see you on the next one thank you for listening to this episode of the end credits follow us on facebook and instagram at the end credits podcast and over on twitter at the end credits if you're watching the video version make sure to subscribe to the end credits youtube channel that's it thank you and goodbye